After six months investigating how Jan Kobat deceived his patients into carrying his children, I feel like I've found some answers. From listening to the mothers who gave birth to his babies. I feel my ugly. He abused you. I feel my dirty. You felt dirty? Yes. Because I was in the room, and maybe in the next room he uh, make sperm. And then he come to me. And the children he created. I'm not a product out of love. I feel like a mass production, really. And and if you think about it, uh, yeah, that you're with now 75 different people. You have have the same, same DNA. You feel like you're like a robot or something. I've got a sense of how Corbat's actions have affected hundreds of people who will live with his legacy for the rest of their lives. And I've managed to build up a picture of what sort of doctor is prepared to abuse his patient's trust in such an appalling way. He was a guy who didn't like rules, who wanted to be as effective as possible. You have a business reason, which is that it's sort of easier, people are lazy or donors don't show up. I think he has a God complex. I think he ignored uh, any potential harm. Or you have power, the desire to insert oneself into a person's life in completely unorthodox ways. In this, the last episode of the series, I'm going to find out what the future holds for the people created through Jan Kobat's deception. Those who have found friends for life. It's funny to find your sister after 35 years. Yeah. A positive thing, clearly. Absolutely. Yeah. Those who will suffer for life. Every single day, everything that I do, I'm reminded of what Kobat has neglected to do, basically and those for whom life is still on hold. Do you think Karbat might be your father? Potentially, yes. I'm Jenny Kleeman, and from something else, this is The Immaculate Deception. Episode 7, The Car Bastards. night it's friday night and i'm walking through the center of rotterdam trying not to get run over by all these people on bicycles and i'm on my way to a get together i'm here to meet two half siblings Carbat's daughters who didn't know they were related a few years ago but now they found each other they're pretty good friends they meet up every couple of weeks and they've told me that tonight i can come and join them Marsha Elvers and Inga Herlar had invited Paul and me to dinner. Hello. We've heard from Marsha throughout the series, and also from Inga, too. Her legal father is the former undertaker who helped bury Carbat. Inga suggested we meet at her office. She'd ordered in some sushi. Oh, yeah. Oh, my goodness. So, no, don't stop yeah, eating yeah. for me. Let's stop. <laughs> it's very warm, so... OK, what should I do this with my hands? Or yeah, yeah. OK. Yeah. <laughs> Marsha grew up thinking she was an only child, but... Being a child of Carbat means getting new siblings every few weeks. I was at work and um, uh, one time I was in a meeting 
And I opened my, my email and I said, oh, wow, look at this. I have eight new brothers and sisters. And then, well, what's the next point on the agenda? And then everybody <laughs> looks at me, what? <laughs> But yeah, it, it just gets that normal yeah. to get those emails and those messages that there are another couple. Inge told me they were part of an ever-expanding WhatsApp group. I don't think we're allowed to <laughs> say the name of the WhatsApp group. <laughs> Uh, Go on, tell me what the group's called. The Car Bastards. The Car Bastards. <laughs> Inga's parents told her she was donor-conceived when she was 25. Ten years later, when she became a parent herself, she wanted to investigate her genetic heritage. She took a commercial DNA test, which led her first to Joey and then to Marsha in 2017. You met while having a DNA test? Yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> That's the thing you do if you're a donor child. You want to meet up and do a test? Yeah, sure. But even before they saw the results of the test, they were pretty sure they were siblings. Because we went to dinner together and then we just sat across each other and looked at each other. Oh, wow, you look the same in that. Oh, you do that? You handle your... Uh, how do you call um, knife and fork? Yeah, yeah your knife and fork in the same way. And oh, you like spicy food too. Yeah, it's <laughs> That's so really funny, funny. Like you're looking in the mirror. And do you have things in common personality-wise as well? No. <laughs> <laughs> There's so much that they share. Most obviously, a mischievous sense of humour, which means they can find comedy even in the incredibly dark circumstances in which they found each other. And they share a family. Their children, who are cousins, love each other. Uh, my eldest and your youngest, they're very similar too in the way they move, in the way they act. And it's, also, it's so funny when they walk. Yeah. They have those <laughs> they bumps. bumps. Yeah. They wiggle in the same way. In the yeah. <laughs> there is a combat look, isn't there? No. Oh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> I think, yeah. especially the, the eyes, they're, they're pinching down a little bit. Yeah. Well, the kind of smiley eyes. You yes, are yes. Very smiley, smiley eyes. eyes. And the higher cheekbones, the, yeah. the, uh, that's really a sign. Oh, the, the, the big mouth with a lot of teeth. <laughs> yeah. And the square hands. Yeah, square hands, yeah. yeah. It's really too bad. Gosh, you have really distinctive hands, don't you? Yeah. We don't like it. You don't like it? <laughs> no, no, no. It's small, a small <gasps> square. Yeah, look at yeah. that. It was uncanny to see the doctor's hands in these two women. Carbat might be dead, but he lives on through them and all their siblings. How does knowing the truth about your genetic origins, how does that affect the sense of, of who you are? It's really a hard question because uh, you, you have the nature-nurture yeah. discussion and I used to think that there would be a lot of nurture but now I've come to see there is a whole lot of nature uh, involved in even more than I used to think or maybe that I I want to believe <laughs> yeah do you worry that you might have inherited negative traits from your biological father um, because he was I mean to have done this for so long on such a scale he has to have been quite manipulative He has to have been a huge combination of a lot of factors and have a a kind of ability to suspend his empathy, maybe. Absolutely. DNA the first thing you think. And and uh, I have a colleagues and I ask her, if anything happens like he did, please tell me. 
So you're paranoid that you might... Absolutely paranoid. Yeah, that I'm narcissistic and that I'm so egoistic and uh, and not considering uh, the feelings of somebody else, of, of other people. Psychopathic. In, yeah, yeah, maybe that's, maybe that's the harm. That I'm always thinking, okay, am I a psychopath or not? <laughs> oh my goodness. Yeah. But especially that, that you're thinking about that it means that you're nothing like it. Yes, because that's you're proof always in itself, isn't yeah. it? True. Yeah. Yeah. I noticed that you don't call him my father. My father. You call him the doctor. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. He is the doctor. He he donated. <laughs> that's it. And he hasn't anything to do uh, with my life. That he passed away. I'm totally fine by it because it. I don't have to meet him. It worked out for Inga and Marsha. Carbat has given them a newfound family. While they may worry about his legacy, it's only a few nagging doubts that actually prove they're nothing like their biological father. That's not the case for Natalie de Jong. You've got this video. Yeah. Can we see it? Yeah, you can uh, see and listen to it. I cannot uh, have it uh, compromised for because of the court case. But you can tell me what's in it. Yeah, and you can I tell can me. Tell you. you can tell me broadly what he's saying. Yeah. So okay. I will give you. I'm a putting pair the headphones, headphones on here. Natalie exists because of Jan Carbat. He's not her biological father, but he was her mother's fertility doctor, and she says the decisions he made when treating her mother have left Natalie with lifelong disabilities. In 2014, three years before Carbat's death, Natalie travelled to Barendrecht to challenge the doctor. She showed me the video she secretly recorded of their encounter on the condition that we don't play the audio here, but we can describe it. Uh, let's see where it is. Yeah, this is it. Clearly. Okay, so you're walking up to the Bidorp yeah. clinic. There's that... That's the, the house building with yeah. the stork on the top. The stork, you see it very well here. First, his wife comes out, Rita, and she looks at us and she's like, "Oh, are you coming here for the apartments? Uh, no, we're actually here for your husband." Oh, well, he d- he never tells me anything anyway, so it's fine. Now we're waiting for Corbat. Uh, I hear him whistling on the background. <laughs> It's Scarbat himself. He is. He's in a stripy shirt. Oh, yeah, it's definitely him. Those eyes that I recognize in so many people (laughs) I've interviewed. So, what's he saying here? He's like, So, you wanted to talk to me? I was like, Yeah, it's for me. I am donor conceived. My parents had your help. And I uh, had some questions about that time. Do you ever wonder how celebrities order food? Like, is Sarah Paulson a Diet Coke or a regular Coke girlie? <laughs> Some peasant Coke? No. Or how does Sofia Vergara order a pizza? No, not, no tomatoes. I cannot eat tomatoes. tomatoes? Yes. Are you killed with mushrooms? Not really. Okay. <laughs> if these are the details you need, and I know you do, I have the podcast for you. I'm Jesse Tyler Ferguson, and on my podcast, Dinners on Me, I take some notable friends of mine out to dinners in Los Angeles and New York City. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. That thing was delicious. Um, I am currently 39 years old and going to be 40 in a couple of uh, days, actually. Oh, happy birthday for <laughs> Thank <then>. you. 
I went to see Natalie in Rosendahl, near the Belgian border, in the home she shares with her cats. There are seven sneaky golem uh, gypsy. Seven is black and white, and sneaky is blue with white. <laughs> she got her name because uh, she just popped up and I just yelled out, she is so sneaky. Natalie trained as a nurse, but she can't work these days. So I do a lot with hobbies. I don't work because of my, uh, my disease. Fitness, that's what I do a lot. I um, make prints uh, for T-shirts, but also stickers like uh, to put on doors, walls, uh, cars. Did you do the stickers that are on these walls? Yeah, I did. I did. <laughs> I made, I lovely, I was myself. admiring them. Yeah. <laughs> Faith, hope, love. And yeah. there's one in the toilet that says family is a word that begins with love. Yeah. When I look at my extended family, everything began with love. Natalie found out that she was the child of an anonymous donor when she was 17, when her parents were splitting up. All of a sudden, my mom said, your dad is not your dad. And I was like, what are you saying? This is crazy. Of course my dad is my dad. She wanted to tell me uh, from the moment that I turned 13, actually. But she'd been compelled to keep quiet. Carbat told them there is a secrecy uh, contract that you both have to sign. None of my parents could ever tell the children. A condition of having the treatment was they had yeah. to promise to never tell you where you came from. Exactly. If they uh, wouldn't sign the contract, then they wouldn't have gotten the treatments. Her home is full of medical equipment, nebulizers she uses to inhale medicine, Zimmer frames to help her walk. As she sat on the sofa opposite me, her fingers curled inwards on her lap, uncomfortably. One of the, the things that I have is rheumatoid arthritis. My immune system eats basically my bones away. And that caused me to have now two new knees. I have two new hips. I have two new shoulders. I have two plates in my wrists with about 16 screws on each side. So I cannot move my wrists anymore. She has another autoimmune disease too, Sjogren's syndrome, which has uniquely devastating symptoms. I have Sjogren's syndrome. I cannot cry anymore, so I don't have any tears left. That's what I would joke about. If people can't see me crying, it's like, yeah, sorry, my tears are, uh, are all done. I don't have any more. <laughs> um, I don't have... Uh, much saliva in my mouth. I always have a very, very, very dry mouth. Do you miss being able to cry? Very much so, yeah. Sometimes crying can be such a relief. And not being able to do that, even with all the, the, the pain that has been caused about the being donor-conceived, it's hard not to be able to cry. When did you begin to think that there might be a link between your conditions that you're living with and the circumstances of your conception? That was actually already when I was uh, 21 and diagnosed with the rheumatoid arthritis. My uh, doctor immediately started to uh, ask me about my uh, parents and my grandparents. And I had to say, I'm donor conceived, so I don't know. There was no history of the disease in Natalie's mother's family. Any genetic link had to come from her donor father, but he was anonymous and there was no way of discovering who he was. So Natalie gave up hope of finding out more about him. Until 2014. 
there was an item on the news and my mom called me because she heard the name Karbat. I was literally in shock. The scandal of what happened in the clinic was only beginning to emerge then. All that they knew at that time was that there were uh, mistakes made, a lot, a lot of mistakes made. Natalie wondered, could Karbat's mistakes be responsible for the health problems she faced every day? Her boyfriend decided to help her investigate. And he went online, he found his phone number, and he called it, and crazily enough, he answered Karbat himself. Natalie's boyfriend told Karbat that he was thinking of becoming a donor. He pretended to ask for his advice because he used to be such a big name in the fertility industry. Even though Karbat's clinic had been closed for five years by then, the doctor told him to come round later that day. Why do you think he said yes? Because his ego was flattered. Yeah, definitely his ego was flattered. Natalie and her boyfriend went to Barendrecht and he started filming on his phone. In the video, the doctor comes out of the yellow building whistling. Natalie is visibly nervous. She tells him he helped her parents conceive her and that she has questions for him. I asked him about what happened in the news. This is all nonsense. He also lied about using his own sperm. He said, I never did that. I never, ever, ever did that. That's madness. In his words, it's nonsense. She told him about her inherited diseases. She hoped for some kind of explanation from the man her parents once relied on when they needed help. But he said, 34 years ago, women only wanted a child. No one thought about hereditary diseases. Back when Natalie's parents had visited Carbat in the 70s, the doctor made a lot of promises about the qualities of their sperm donor. He would be tall, just like my father. He would be slim, just like my father. He would have dark eyes. That's the the features that he would look at. And did did he promise to screen for other things? Yeah. He uh, would screen all donors for uh, STDs. He would test them if they had like hepatitis, something like that. He would check the blood. He would check blood pressure. My disease, rheumatoid arthritis, it was possible to find it in the blood. And then he also told my parents that there would not be more than six donor-conceived children from one donor. But when Natalie told Carbat about her medical problems, he shrugged it off, like a shop assistant refusing to return a faulty item. I conceived 10,000 children. Everyone has been checked. 0.2% had hereditary diseases. So I'm so sorry, there's nothing I can do about it anymore. (laughs) Natalie asked Carbat if she could access her paperwork to find out more about her donor. He said no. The practice is, um, is completely empty. It's now uh, living arrangements for people. So sorry. Nothing to be done about it. Do you think he saw you as a, as a creation of his? Yeah. When uh, the conversation ended, we were walking off. I remember feeling very queasy, very sick, actually, physically sick. And then he asked me, all of a sudden he turned back to me and he he asked me, do you have children of your own? 
And I looked at him and said, no, no, not yet. And he was like, oh, that's that's a shame. So he wanted to know if his work was going to continue through you yeah. having children. That's what he wanted to know. Since that encounter with Carbat, Natalie has managed to piece together some key elements of her genetic history. DNA tests have revealed she already has 60 half-siblings. And through them, she's discovered the identity of her donor father. He worked for Carbat as a nurse, and he's passed away. She told me he was supposed to have been a very good man. It's brought her some comfort. But there's no respite from the pain of the hereditary diseases. The rheumatoid arthritis that means her body is filled with metal. The Sjogren syndrome that's robbed her of her tears. Natalie says many of her half-siblings have similar conditions too. So many people have been hurt by Jan Karbat's arrogance. His contempt for his patients and their children, his carelessness, has harmed generations of people, even the ones he didn't father himself. Natalie is one of the 53 people suing Karbat's estate for damages. When I confronted him, he said that he never screened donors at all. If they were healthy, they were healthy, that was it. He didn't care. And you're living with the consequences of this every day? Yeah, every single day, everything that I do, I'm reminded of what Karbat has neglected to do, basically. What does justice look like for you? For me, justice looks like... um, Rita Corbat saying, yeah, we, he did things wrong. Rita Corbat's name has come up a lot in the interviews that yeah. we've done. People have strong feelings about her. Is there anything that she could have done differently that might have meant that you wouldn't be pursuing the case as far as you have done? I think if she would have um, acknowledged that he... Uh, did father the children, the donor children that that were uh, conceived by him and that were made by him. If she would take any responsibility and just acknowledge what went wrong, but also just a simple sorry, this shouldn't have happened. Yes, it did happen. It shouldn't have happened. And I am sorry for you guys. That would be step one. There's step two as well, though, isn't there? Because you want financial compensation. Yeah, step two will be financial compensation. But for me, it's not the most important thing. I have a happy life. I live a happy life. Yes, it's not what I wanted it to be. And yeah, money, it's it's great. It will make my life easier. But it would not bring me back my health. My iron bones, it would not make them bones and cartilage again. It doesn't undo the scars that I have on my body and the mental scars that I have inside. It doesn't undo that. It just makes life a lot more easier. Are you arguing that you shouldn't have been conceived? No, no. I do feel if, you know, I I didn't have a say in it, yeah. That's true. I didn't have a say in being conceived and the way that I was conceived. But I do know that I was born from a, a 
a big fiery desire from my parents to have me. I shouldn't have been born this way. But should I have been born? Yeah, because my parents really wanted me. I don't blame my parents at all. You blame Carbat for having not delivered to your parents what he promised to deliver. Exactly. That is the essence of it all for me. So what are you in all of this? You're a defective product. Basically, yeah, I'm a defective product. <laughs> and sometimes I have to be tuned up. <laughs> you know, I, I have a lot of uh, siblings calling me the Transformer. <laughs> Transformer sister or Terminator is also a term that I've heard. Uh, bionic woman, the bionic sister. As Rita Carbat's lawyer told me, she doesn't want to respond to any of the allegations against her or her husband, to me or anybody else. Natalie doesn't know if the case against Carbat's estate will be successful. She's got strong grounds for a claim, but if she wins, she won't get a life-changing amount of money. That's not how things are done in the Dutch civil courts. Whatever the outcome of the court case, Inge and Marsha aren't part of it. This legal case is ongoing, and it's my understanding that you haven't joined the quest for compensation. You don't want compensation. Why is that? <laughs> That's a nice okay, question. yeah. We talked a lot about it. Yeah. I don't feel victimized. I don't see the harm for myself. <clears throat> I have a nice life. I have beautiful children. I nah, he's he's given me life in that kind of way and and I enjoy it. I don't think we have um the right to prosecute against the family of Carbat, uh, of his legal children, because they are victims in, the, in this case too. They couldn't help the acts mm. of their father. So it was victory enough for you to have it officially established that he was your father yeah. and then your your aunt. That's so. When you are in, in Holland, it's not really common to ask for compensation. Mm. So um, I don't think that the amount of money will not be that high, not as in the States or yeah. So we were talking about, okay, then we... They have 2,000 euros and then we buy a couch from Jan. Yeah. <laughs> Nobody wants to sit on that couch. <laughs> <laughs> so what do you do with that money? That's <laughs> true. What do you do with it? Yeah. Do you know, I really was not expecting when I sat down for this interview that it would be going like this. Yeah. <laughs> of course, Marsha and Inga can laugh about it all, but they're a minority. And the number of Carbat kids keeps growing. Realistically, you might have, you know, this 50-whatever siblings could be the tip of the iceberg. Yeah, but we, I think we crossed a line already somewhere. Yeah. yeah. If it's 18 or 58 or 100 or 200, it's crazy anyway. So it, it doesn't really matter any so much anymore. Yeah. And uh, it actually makes me feel sad a little bit about the people who are joining the group now because it's so hard to give everybody the attention that they deserve. If somebody is number 59 and enters the group and it's really hard to uh, find the energy to tell that and to, to take the same level of interest. Yeah, yeah for the 59th time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And if you're new 
and if you don't know anything about the story and everything and then you come into those mm. enormous parties it's which, overwhelming it yeah, must be so overwhelming so that's that's really that's concerns me a bit yeah their half brother joey told me the same thing when i met him at the beginning it was was really uh, happy and and safe but when the group became bigger you feel like a pressure mm. and it, it's almost abstract at that time because you have now 75 different people all with their own unique story and their different view on lives and if i give uh, marcia attention yeah there's a whole group of people that also deserves the attention yeah. that i cannot give that you can't have the energy to have no no. proper brother relationships with with, no, with so many people, people. yeah <laughs> and that's the hardest thing at this time to process because mm. you really want to but you can't because it's we are with so many mm. and i'm really emotional about it that's the hardest thing for me right now i want to give them all my attention and i can't you're really emotional about yeah. it aren't you yeah Joey's part of the legal action because he says his entire life has been overshadowed by the doctor's deception Marsha and Inga know how lucky they are to feel differently. Do you imagine that some people are really finding it very hard to deal with? Of course. I can totally engage with uh, people who have a really hard time uh, hearing about Carpath is your, is your father. If you're already depressed or mm. s- there's something in your life and then you hear about Carbat, then I strongly believe it's doing, your, doing somebody really harm. Yeah. Yeah. While the donor-conceived people I've spoken to for this podcast have different views about the harm Carbat may have caused them, they all agree on one thing. They wish they'd been told the truth about how they were conceived a lot earlier. In the beginning, I really wanted to tell my story to reach other donor children and also their parents to just let them know it's okay to tell your child. It's, it's necessary to tell your child that it, you're a donor child. And don't keep it a secret. Tell your children. Because I also see the effect on, um, on our brothers and sisters who find out that they are donor children when their parents are already deceased and there is no information to get anymore. You, you can't ask your mother... Why, did, why didn't you tell me? Or, or what happened? Is there anything that we can learn from all of this? Definitely, definitely uh, for the parents of any donor-conceived uh, individual anywhere in the world has to know that secrets have a way to come out. And it's better to hear it from your parents, from your own parents, if you are donor-conceived, because it will come out. There are probably people listening to this right now who have no idea they could be part of this story or one of the many other stories like this simply because of the secrecy that surrounds donor conception. The stigma of infertility, particularly male infertility, and the secrecy and shame that surrounds fertility treatment because of it gave Carbat the power that he abused so completely. 
He knew that his patients wouldn't question him and wouldn't tell anyone about the treatment he was giving them. Not even the children conceived as a result of it. He was able to cause so much harm because he worked with incredibly vulnerable patients who promised to keep secrets in an age where doctor always knew best. It was the perfect storm. Maybe Jan Karbat was the product of another era. Perhaps doctors aren't put on pedestals so much anymore. But they still have a lot of power. Infertility is still stigmatised. And fertility treatment is still an intensely private, personal experience for anyone who goes through it. People are still keeping secrets. One thing has certainly changed, though. Sperm donors can no longer expect to be anonymous anymore. Across the world, donor-conceived people are winning the right to know where they come from. DNA testing means that people are able to investigate their identity in ways never conceived of before. The truth is coming out. We'll be better equipped to face it if we're more open about fertility problems in the first place. The story of Jan Karbat will never be over. He has touched too many lives, too many generations. And some people are only just discovering that they're part of it. Well, uh, we are in Scheveningen, very close to the sea. and uh, that's what This is do. Anne. She's asked us not to use her last name. She lives in a bright apartment overlooking the North Sea, near The Hague. When I met her there, she was in the middle of doing some decorating. The living room had that new paint smell. This morning we finished that wall. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. it's very fresh, yes. (laughs) It was in 2017, not long after she graduated from university, that Anne's mother told her the news. So she told me that she doesn't know who my father is, uh, but it's not for sure that it's not my dad. Anne's parents went to Cobat for fertility treatment because her father had a low sperm count, but they conceived Anne's little sister naturally without help. So they don't know if my conceiving was from sperm of my dad or sperm of the insemination by the Corbat clinic. Last spring, Anne took a DNA test to compare with her legal father. She discovered he's not her biological father. It vindicated something inside her. She'd grown up feeling awkward and out of place. And now she finally understood why. Everyone has told me a lie during my whole life. Mm. And I needed to believe that lie to maintain and to keep going instead of trusting myself. You have learned me to trust someone else's opinion instead of myself. Mm. To doubt yourself. Yeah, to doubt myself. But also the, the feeling that I have inside couldn't be real because everyone around me is telling me differently. A few months ago, Anne submitted her DNA to the Dutch FIOM database. Any time now, she's going to find out whether she's the latest member of the Carbat family. I have one sister and I'm very happy with her. (laughs) And I can't really imagine my life with like more than than one. (laughs) So um, it would be a very weird experience to, um, in one moment, get so many 
uh, other brothers and sisters. Potentially you could have more than 50. Uh, yeah, we could go 100. Do you think Carbat might be your father? Potentially, yes. I think every man that ever donated is a potential that to me. Have yeah. you looked at pictures of him and looked for similarities? Uh, you look for similarities in every everyone around you now. It's, it's not that I, I didn't, um, but I, uh, I, 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 I think you can find anything of yourself in anyone if you try your best. And I try not to do that because that will mean I can't walk down the street anymore. I think there is absolutely uh, a chance of him being my dad. So any moment, any moment from now on, you could find out that you're part of the Netherlands' biggest family. (laughs) (laughs) Will you make contact with your half siblings or will you I wait have, a while or i i have probably yes um i think curiosity will win will you tell us when you get the news yes <laughs> if you want to <laughs> oh i want to hear the news yes i will we'll keep you posted The Immaculate Deception is a Something Else production. It was written and presented by me, Jenny Kleeman. Paul Smith is a producer with additional production from Arlie Adlington. Mixing and sound design comes from Will Short at Spoke Media. The editor and executive producer is Peggy Sutton. Thank you to Magda Saron, Dan Cocker, Mark Rivers and Steve Ackerman. If you identify with any of the issues we're reporting on and have a story you'd like to share with us, our email address is deception at somethingelse.com. <laughs>